This is Inspired Your Impact. I'm your host, James Campbell. Today's episode features Mr. Kevin Day out of Monterey, California. He was visiting the Atlanta area recently, and we're able to conduct this particular interview in the lobby of the Atlanta Marriott Marquis. So please excuse any background noise, and we're going to jump right into that conversation starting now. This is Inspired Impact. I'm your host, James Campbell. Today we're with Mr. Kevin Day from Monterey, California, and we're actually sitting in the lobby of the Atlanta Marquis, uh, Marriott Marquis. So if you hear any background noise, it's just people having a good time on a Friday night. <laughs> How are you doing, Kevin? I'm great. I'm great. It's great to be back in Atlanta. Well, thanks for uh, spending a little bit of time with us today. And why are you in Atlanta, first of all? Let me just ask, what brings you to Atlanta? So the National Association of Episcopal Schools has this biennial convention once every couple years. Mm-hmm. And in my new role at my school as a daily chaplain presence, um, the school is good enough to let me come out and uh-huh. get connected with other chaplains. And um, it's been amazing. Okay. And it's been, it's, it's been great to kind of be reunited with you and be back in Atlanta traffic and tall buildings and... <laughs> It's been great. Okay, wonderful. Well, we're going to jump right into our conversation. And the first question I always like to ask educators, can you share with me your path to education? How did you become an educator? Yeah. Um, I was one of these folks. I was sure that I was never going to become a teacher because my dad was dead set on living vicariously through me, which meant that I was going to become a teacher because that's what he wanted to do, never did. Okay. So after dreams of being this cross-country track coach at the Division I level didn't quite materialize, and the next big dream of being some famous preacher turned into me marrying a famous preacher, my wife Katie, um, after seminary followed her to Jacksonville, Florida, and still thinking that, you know, some church is going to discover me. Uh It's just a matter of time, Kev. But what can I be doing to continue to grow, continue to live in the same energy of being with people and caring for folks and growing? Just being in the world of school felt like a really great, fertile intersection and, and definitely connected to what pastors should be about in terms of listening, connecting, learning, growing. And probably somewhere was my dad's little whispering voice, trying to ignore it, right? But James, as soon as I got in the classroom, it was so obvious that it was a great fit for my newfound interest in being in school. Um, Having worked after college for a while, and then going to seminary and enjoying being a student, now getting to be a teacher and really enjoying the process of coming up with lesson plans and uncovering this whole lovely world of not just what are you teaching, but how are you going to teach it? And then behind that, how can any of this work of how you teach and the person you bring into the classroom, how can that implicitly convey compassion and care for people without being explicitly Jesus-y. And so suddenly that felt like, gosh, I think that's more me than trying to do 
what I was seeing my wife do. And now when you get to see what a pastor does, it's, it's amazing and humbling. And I know my wife is called to it and she crushes it in ways that I never would. So suddenly teaching was great. And, and the next part of the journey as a teacher was A, figuring out how to teach. And then how can I let it keep growing me and shaping me without getting burnt out, without giving too much of myself to it. Because um, I, think, I think something I learned about teaching, and, and I think that folks preparing for, for other kinds of ministry run into this, is you can sort of turn the work into almost this idolatrous end-all, be-all part of your identity rather than being a conduit, rather than being a connector, rather than being a learner, being in conversation or traveling. You, you can lose sight of that, right? So that, for me, has been kind of this... At different phases in my teaching career, like, you know, how can I get myself off the treadmill and water the rest of my life? <laughs> um, yeah, and, and, and so now, um, thanks in huge part to you personally, um, super interested in the intersection of design thinking and um, now my work teaching religious studies and doing chapel and pastoral care. Um, how can you, at a school like mine that's pretty diverse in terms of its religious demographics, how can I be present, be available, and come at this job of caring for folks, learning what I've learned as a teacher, but now, once again, letting this little school kind of transform who I thought I was, almost as if I was back starting teaching again, right? Can I continue to let myself learn a new and live a new lesson? So you said quite a bit, but I want to focus on some of the things you said initially, that you thought you would be this great cross-country coach, you thought <laughs> you'd be this great pastor. Mm -hmm. pastor. It sounds like what I would call like fail-up moments, opportunities where you realized that you had bumps in the road. How did you deal with those bumps in the road, those moments that might be considered failure? And how do you help your students deal with this idea of failure? You know, I'm way better at helping others with it than helping myself with it. And I think that's perhaps part of it. I think failing up, it makes sense in my brain, James, but I think at the end of the day, to really fail up, you, you need people to help you. You need people to help you distill and reframe and maybe see this experience, even from a couple degrees difference. Um, for me personally, I would kind of chalk it up to, oh, I'm not a blank enough person. I think now, maybe being older and more mature, I'm better able to kind of temper and, and reach out to people to help me kind of make sense of things not going right. But um, I, I think with students, I, I try to encourage them that it's a long life. Um, and there's just so much to learn and 
the process of learning what you learn is, is ultimately what moves you forward. Um, so much of learning can easily unravel into just content delivery. But I really think that when it's a blend of growing those relationships and letting the content deepen a relationship and vice versa, let this relationship make the learning before you urgent and lovely and impactful, that can kind of help some of those fail up moments be a way to deepen your communion with one another, with the content. Okay. So what has been like your greatest struggle? Or do you have a story that you can share where you actually struggled through like teaching or the process? And how did you get past those moments of struggle? It's <clears throat> an awesome question. I think... I think an early, looking back now, I think an early part of my teaching journey was giving myself permission to make some mistakes. I, I think I used to judge a good day of teaching was if I got, if I did things well or if I could kind of clear the day without splashing in too many puddles. Um, I, I would measure a lesson plan by, you know, did I get through all of it? And I always had this fear of um, under planning. What if I don't know what to do? So I would chronically over plan. And I think I recognize in that a fear of failure, but also a fear of not always knowing exactly what to do and, and where to take things. As though I'm not sharing this with a room full of brilliant, lovely people and being with them is as much, if not even more important than what we're doing. So I, I, I think in moments of anxiety, in moments when I'm not resting enough, in moments when I just default to my normal anxious self, I, I still try to know more upfront than really you can know. And I think my best teaching happens when I prepare like this year, I'm doing a good job preparing, but an even better job leaving enough open space to trust that when you get in the classroom or when you get in chapel, which is part of my deal, we have ch these little chapels four days a week. Trust that an amazing array of calling the right audible or someone asks a question or just being and relating with people somehow can help you learn and stand in front of what you need to for that day. And I'm getting better at that. Um, almost as though I'm starting to trust myself. Um, and and, and it's, it's really becoming satisfying. Now, you mentioned design thinking. And I just want to ask this for how would you define design thinking and how do you utilize it in your space as an educator? So, one definition I really like would be something like this empathy-fueled way through open questions towards innovative and delightful answers. One I love even more is from this guy, David Clifford, who is the man, if you ever hear this, 
he talks about design thinking as the stance of humility and curiosity uh, and empathy. It's something like that. Like it's a stance of empathy and curiosity and optimism through these questions. And I love that, you know, that it's this disposition, it's this it's it's this way of relating that's absolutely through and through um, about empathy and about learning to let the question marinate and take you somewhere. So you mentioned empathy several times. Why is it necessary, in your opinion, to teach students or people in general empathy? You know, what's the value in it, in your opinion? I think if there's anything that unites so many different religions and traditions and, and, and spiritual journeys, ways of being in the world in which we're trying to connect to a bigger story than our own and have these moments of aliveness, as Parker Palmer says, this, these moments of aliveness, oftentimes for me, those are when I find myself able to connect, to notice, to slow down my own treadmill, my own way in the world, and be amazed, connected, awed, moved by someone else's experience. And I, I think that... Um, whether you're trying to solve a specific problem or whether you are just trying to navigate your own way, somehow when we choose to do it by connecting to people and, and leaning upon them and trusting them and learning from them, as messy and as slow as that can be and complicated at times, um, inefficient, with my air quotes, inefficient, um, it, it humanizes us and it softens us and to me as a person of faith, like I think there's like this third traveler between us. I, I think that it, it, it opens up all kinds of interesting connections. So um, I'm convinced now um, the degree to which we can invite and open fields of empathy between people in a room and also find those moments in whatever the discipline is, like there's, there's going to be richness there. Can you share a time where you actually, within the classroom, that you use design thinking or you were helping your students build empathy? What was that time? How did you help them understand the process or build empathy? And what was the value that you saw in that process with your students? Um, I've done it poorly a bunch of times. Mm -hmm. And I think it's because I was trying to, looking back, I was trying to get them to a point where I think they needed to get to. Um, one time when, it when the lights really came on, um, <clears throat> 
was sometimes when we've been breaking down some primary source documents, whether it's a painting or whether it's um, a, a written document, I'm thinking of like some classes I've had with middle school history students. There have been some moments where they and we together can just find ourselves getting interested in the person or in the story behind this image or of the life of the person who wrote this or the people who might have read this for the first time. Um, and, and sometimes those are the days when you notice that we're all kind of leaning in and the time in class goes by quickly, right? Mm -hmm. Something special is happening. Um, I think of a, of a design thinking project we did last year where our third graders were trying to interview younger students on this garden redesign project. And as is, I hear myself saying it, like I thought I knew what was gonna happen. I thought, here's how I have to shepherd this moment. Man, these third graders noticed something I never would have put together. They all seized upon how the garden as we designed it didn't have bathroom space. And so anytime a little one had to go to the bathroom or try to go, a teacher would have to leave the group and take them and so, those are some moments where if you give kids a chance to be curious and inquisitive and trust that they can do it in respectful and loving ways, if you coach them up, they won't always do it perfectly, they can uncover surprising insights and delightful insights. Um, yeah. So when I'm here, there's been moments where you felt like you had to be perfect. There's been moments where you, the process kind of developed and it was out of your hands, even though you tried to control all the factors. There's been moments where you're figuring out as you go. How would you encourage people that are afraid of that messiness or that failure? How would you encourage them to take that chance? And what's the value in taking that chance? Um, I'm living proof even, and I, I feel like I'm living proof, even as it's happening, um, that everything you just said, it not only speaks to what my teaching career is like, it really sounds a lot like my journey of becoming a better partner to my wife, of becoming a better parent, of just taking baby steps with support into the messiness um, and somehow finding a whole bucket brigade of grace and people helping me get through. And, and, and it's, it's been a delightful journey. Um, and I think that if my goal had been to always do things right the first time, which sounds great, the problem is then you can never stop doing that. Um, it's that treadmill of achievement you can't ever get off. But there, there's just a, uh, so many great opportunities for us to um, 
become who we can be if we, if I can just try to be open and try to bring ourselves into the world, even as unfinished as we might be, um, giving ourselves the same grace as teachers that we want for our students. Um, and I try to remind myself, Kevin, like if you want Kevin Jr., Kavina, these students who weirdly have your name in your class, it's the worst, right? If I wanted, you know, your boys, my boy, to be willing to take a chance and take a risk, like why can't I expect people aren't gonna let me want me to do that? And I, that, that helps me a lot. Well, Kevin, I do want to be mindful of the hour and your time. So I'm going to close out our conversation today with one more question, and it's simply this. If you had one word to describe yourself, what would that word be, and why would you use that word? Wow. One word. One word, yes. Can it be hyphenated? Okay, we'll go with maybe, it. We'll maybe, maybe. All right. We'll see how many hyphens you put in there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's right. Um, I would say... Wow. You know, you've caught me at a time where I feel like my story is really deepening. I would say that I am... Emerging, and emerging in the sense that uh, I'm learning to trust myself a little more, which means I'm learning to trust others a little bit more, and I'm a little more. I'm still insane like physically, historically crazy, but I'm a little more centered and grateful and, and, and willing to be myself. So I feel like I'm emerging. Okay. Well, Kevin, thank you so much for your honesty and your sincerity this evening. And safe travels back to Monterey. And thank you for being a part of Inspire to Impact. Hey, thank you. You come see me. <laughs> okay, will do. Enjoy the rest of your evening. Great.